listening to the High Route Gearshed podcast. I'm Jason Albert, part-time host for this initial episode, as I'm only here to smooth out some technical details and ask a few questions. This first episode, we're joined by soon-to-be permanent host Gavin Hess, as well as Adam Fabricant and Billy Haas both experienced mountain guides and seasoned ski mountaineers. We're going to take a deep dive into ski mountaineering ropes and their uses in the mountains. You can find more articles related to human-powered skiing at our website, thehighroute.com. To find the site, we're going to need your attention for a second. You're going to find us at this web address, the-high-route.com. There's no need to spell out the hyphens. You're going to use the hyphen key in the upper right-hand corner of the keyboard. Yes, we have two hyphens in the name, thehighroute.com. Now it's time for ropes and a little bit of banter about hyphens. Billy, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, because I'm really bad at introductions. I'm like admittedly bad at them. But um, Do you want Adam to introduce you? Yeah, let's, let's, let's maybe have Adam go first and then I can... I'm just not good at talking about myself, so Adam is. So let's maybe have him go first. Hello. I'm Adam Fabricant. I live in the Tetons. I work year-round as a mountain guide and enjoy ski mountaineering when I get the opportunity. It's good to have proper adventures with friends and uh, look forward to discussing gear, pros, cons, what we use, what we don't, and everything in between. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I'm just curious, what's your stance on the hyphens, Adam? You know, I think the hyphens are a little complicated. I like uh, just simpler ways of doing things. And yeah, I'm not really sure where the hyphens uh, help. I could do without the hyphens. Inefficient. Inefficient. Fair. Okay, I think I'm potentially ready. Um Hi, my name's Billy Haas, uh, also professional mountain guide and ski mountaineer. I spend my winters down in Salt Lake City in the Wasatch Mountains, and uh, really excited to be part of the High Route project and everything that we're going to discuss and uh, talk about, write about, all these sorts of things. It's, it's my passion, it's my life, and it's what I love doing, so excited to be a part of this. What's your stance on the hyphens? On the hyphens? I actually like the hyphens. I think I could, I, I could get, I could get behind them. Um, yeah, I'm okay with the hyphens. I actually like the way they look as well. Artistically, I think they're nice. So my name's Gavin Hess. Um, I am a less professional mountain guide than Billy and Adam, but I do work as a mountain guide here in the Tetons, and I also make backpacks uh, for Apocalypse Equipment is my company, um, and very passionate about gear and I think I'll be the host of this podcast going forward. I'll start with my stance on the hyphens. I'm a, I have two websites uh, that I'm a part of and they both have hyphens. So maybe that makes me into it. You're a, you're a hyphen man. <laughs> a hyphen. You're a hyphen. 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 I suppose so. What? Okay. I like it. What's the, I know there's apocalypse equipment. Is there something else I don't know about or shouldn't know about yet? Yep, apocalypse. No, no, just 
just apocalypse hyphen equipment dot com. This is the second is apocalypse website? equipment, and then I'm two. This is the other one. All right, I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have that many websites. I barely know how websites work. So, <laughs> like I said, we do own the highroute.org, all one word. But but the high route with the hyphens is also one word. Hyphens are not spelled out. So I tried to get rid of the hyphens, but here's the thing. I'm kind of liking the hyphens. There's redundancy, right? Two hyphens. And I think that like, I don't know how fast and loose you guys like to get in the mountains, but I'm like sort of at my advanced age, kind of a firm believer in redundancy and systems. Two hyphens is a little bit of redundancy and they weigh nothing. I'll admit to forgetting that there were hyphens a few days ago and being like, how do I find the website? (laughs) Point taken, point taken. I think to give some background, um, I decided recently that the best way to describe my, my gear addiction is that I'm an optimizer. So good enough isn't good enough for me. And I'm always looking for the next way to, to make things just a little bit better. And my most recent rabbit hole as far as optimization has been with ropes and belay devices. So I've been going through and collecting uh, different, both ropes and especially uh, compiling all of the small rope belay devices uh, that we could use for for ski mountaineering and, and backcountry skiing um, with with our small six millimeter-ish uh, static ropes. Um, so I've compiled five or six different small rope belay devices and I've been hanging off the, the deck on my house and playing with different friction setups and, and different ropes and belay devices and configurations um, trying to figure out how to optimize uh, both just general repelling on these small ropes as well as as the kind of worst case scenario, which I view as like a steep repel with a single strand using something like a, a Beal Escaper, uh, which is a single strand kind of retrieval device um, that occasionally will bring along in case, say, a repel is longer than we expect or something like that. So, uh, yeah, just working on trying to optimize that and Billy and Adam have much more experience with these adventurous ski repels. Um, so I'm psyched to get their input on the, on the state of things and what they have experienced as well. I think it would be neat to take a step backwards in ski, ski ropes and maybe think about when we first started using rope skiing and what type of ropes we were using. I know for myself, the first time I went ski mountaineering with ropes, I was bringing out like 9.5 rock climbing ropes sort of before we had these lighter, more efficient tools. Um, and it's, it's a relatively new concept. A, as ski mountaineering has just gained in popularity and as the market has been growing in uh, a positive way. So I know for myself, I just started using traditional rock climbing gear in a ski environment, um, which worked well. It was safe, but also quite heavy. To kind of piggyback off of what Adam was just saying, 
I think one of the things that's exciting about ski mountaineering at the moment and, and rock climbing too. I mean, we see this in rock climbing and, and big wall and stuff such as that. Like it's important to understand that we're, we're pushing the limits of some of this equipment. And a lot of this should be considered experimentation. I mean, what Gavin's doing is not, you know, the Petzl Institute, like he's doing it in his backyard and I'm not saying, or off his deck, like I'm not saying he has to um, be at the Petzl Institute doing this stuff, but I think it's important to understand that this is what's fun and exciting about this right now is the fact that this is experimentation. This is kind of pushing it. And we're using this, you know, they talk about using drugs like off label or pharmaceuticals off label. Like we're, we're kind of doing that in a way we're using stuff off label a little bit here, but with rationale, with reason, with a, with a honestly with a relatively high understanding of the forces involved the materials involved and the equipment involved so um i just want everyone who potentially listens to some of this and understands some of this or, or you know who's who's absorbing some of this to understand that this is in that realm in a way and I, gavin i don't know if you're okay with me prefacing it that way but um i do think it's important to understand that yeah absolutely billy i think that uh, the, in the same way, like the fact that I'm doing this stuff off the deck and not in the mountains to start with, um, is, is really important. And, and maybe I'm, I'm certainly finding things off the deck that I'm like, Oh, I wouldn't do that <laughs> in the mountains that, that doesn't have a lot of friction or, or, you know, some of the ropes that I'm playing with, um, are, uh, not maybe at the level of confidence inspiring that that feels good to me in in real mountain terrain but it's just that sort of exploration of those limits that i find that i find interesting to try out and then and then maybe you find something new or interesting that that is applicable to the mountains um in a safe manner with with that understanding of the limitations but that's a really good good preface for this whole conversation is that all of these techniques are, are nuanced, um, in a way that, that repelling with a, with an ATC guide or a reverso on a 9.5 or, or whatever dynamic climbing rope, um, <clears throat> is maybe a little bit more straightforward, but, but back to that optimization thing, that's not the most optimized tool for, for the job that we're sort of employing these things for. Yeah, I would think and do a little backpedal and discuss, you know, why the whole process of why we're using different ropes. So for ski mountaineering, really, if you're using a rope, you're not skiing. So we try to minimize the use of a rope. And our thought process is, well, I'm going to go on into the mountains for eight hours and I'm going to do one repel over the course of the day. And I know exactly where my rappel is, how long of a rope I need, and I'm actually not using the rope that much, and I'm not applying a lot of force to it, which is maybe the opposite of rock climbing, where the rope is integral to your activity, and you're going to potentially fall on it. So we're using a dynamic rope to help absorb those forces, and it's okay, especially in a cragging environment where you're not walking far, to use a really durable, robust rope and... I normally don't even care how much it weighs. And then if I'm going to go ski mountaineering, I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to carry this rope all day and I'm going to use it for like five minutes. 
and I'm not putting a lot of force on it. I'm using this little bikini style harness and I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to lead per se a pitch of climbing. So now the thought process is what can I get away with? What's the smallest, lightest kit I can use? But with these smaller, lighter kits, the reality is they're just less friction. So if you're somebody that doesn't do a lot of rope work in a summer environment where you have more friction, going straight to these lighter, simpler kits can be a little nerve-wracking if you're not used to that change. So I think I have a advantage because I, I use ropes all summer, winter, etc. So I just know when that's changing. Um, but if you don't come from that summer environment, that can be a real challenge. And to elaborate on what Adam was saying about the hyperstatic nature of these ropes, um, generally like a, a cragging rope or a or dynamic climbing rope, single rope that we're using is, uh, what is it? 15% or so elongation, um, is how they're, they're measured. So it's like static elongation with a force on it over a certain distance. Yeah. So like we're talking about, um, hyperstatic cordelettes and rappel ropes and tag lines. So they're, they don't have dynamic properties. They're not designed for lead climbing. Most of the ropes that we're discussing here today, not all of them. Um, but in most ski mountaineering environments where a rappel is the primary use of the rope, that's okay. When we talk about using these ropes beyond their limits, that might be when we choose to take a belay, whether it's to do a ski cut to, for avalanche mitigation or to check out a cornice hazard or a short step of rock or ice climbing. That's different, and that's when really people start to use these ropes beyond what they're designed for. I think, I think Gavin, if it's okay for me to interrupt you real quick, probably are a little more informed on this than Adam and I. I think it's good to define what is the difference between a static rope, a semi-static or hyperstatic rope, and a, and a dynamic rope, because there are kind of cut-and-dry uh, quantifiers on this, or qualifiers on this. So, um. So essentially... With a with a dynamic rope, a, like a single climbing rope, or or a half rope or a twin rope, um, which is maybe what we used to use ski mountaineering, we have this dynamic property of it where we're at, you know, 12 percent static elongation. So if you hang, I think it's an eighty kilogram weight off the end of the rope, it will it will stretch. Uh, 10 or 12% of that length. And what that gives us is, is a dynamic, um, sort of reserve or dynamic, uh, catch. Uh, if we were to take a lead fall on the rope where rather than our body being the dynamic element in the system, uh, which, which can break us, uh, a, the rope provides that soft catch, uh, which protects our organs and our our back and all that and our gear, um, from, from experiencing really high forces in the, in the event of a lead fall. Um, but when we're, when we're skiing, uh, especially repelling, um, we are there, we don't need that dynamic nature because we're statically hanging on the ropes. And so, 
So we're not as worried about the dynamic um, properties of the rope because, because essentially in no instance should we be taking a dynamic fall on these ropes. And, and that's the, the use case for, for these hyperstatic or static ropes. Um, and there's kind of a range essentially from that 10, 12% uh, dynamic rope um, static elongation number down to like a, a Petzl rad line, for example, being the standard uh, or the most standard ski rope uh, is is less than 5%. Um, and we call that a hyperstatic rope. Uh, so there's very little dynamic elongation or static elongation, sorry. But essentially we're not taking lead falls on these ropes and that's the key. Sorry if I brought this up, but I, I do think it would be important because we are going to spend some time here talking about ropes to kind of get into like just being really cut and dry about when we talk about these different ropes. I, I've always found that to be important. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and misconceptions as to the different types of ropes out there. So I think one of the things when we're trying to make a decision on what kind of rope we're bringing, uh, one of the biggest things, initial things that pops into my mind is whether I'm going to bring a dynamic or static rope. If I think there could be any type of lead climbing involved, which does happen in ski mountaineering, um, there's a high likelihood that I'm going to defer to some type of dynamic rope. That said, there's a lot of different types of dynamic ropes. We can go into different diameters. I mean, we're most likely going to be using very light dynamic ropes. That's a potentially conversation we can have in a little bit. Um, and also the type of train I might be moving over, whether it's rock, ice, snow, uh, could also factor into that that dynamic rope type. Uh, for example, Adam and I were just on a mission where uh, we in the summertime over rock, we used a, I would say we, we pushed the limits of a certain rope type. Um, and if we want, we can get into that in a little bit, but in the winter time, uh, if I do think that we could be using or, or doing any type of lead climbing, um, I also think it's important to understand. Uh, and I know this is a big thing with rad line, the type of belays that might be involved as well. Are these belays where, there's actually lead climbing involved where someone is above the rope, there's slack, a fall could happen with slack introduced into the system, like a leader fall, uh, and then could shock a system. Or if any type of belay is involved, uh, is it a belay where there's minimal slack in the system, uh, such as like a ski belay? Because in theory, a good ski belay has somewhat minimal slack in the system. And if that's the case, uh, there's a high likelihood that I might be defaulting towards a less dynamic rope and be moving into some of these static or hyperstatic style ropes, uh, such as Petzl Radline. Um, that's another thing that I might be considering. Now, if it's just solely for repelling, if it's solely for repelling, where in theory there should be very minimal slack involved, if, if none at all, realistically, um, that's a different style as well. Uh, if it's just for repelling, to be perfectly honest, I'm going to want the lightest, you know, rope that's going to essentially get the job done for me, given the belay devices and, and or, you know, descent control devices, whatever you want to call them, uh, involved in that. So, 
and that's something that I think Gavin has done quite a bit of testing recently on. So it, it kind of in, depends on the situation and what I expect to happen. Now that said, the last caveat there that I'll make is if it's something that involves an unknown, which is probably my favorite thing in the world. I love the unknown. Um, maybe I'm going to be bringing something that could handle all of that, you know, kind of be a jack of all trades, but master of none kind of style rope. Uh, and I think that's something we can all hash out in a little bit here. Absolutely. And I think it's really valuable to have these conversations um, with given both our experience and style um, because I think, yeah, there's a lot of people that f sort of fall into that boat or aspire to that boat or aspire to that style. Um, and so getting the inform like information out there as far as how to achieve that with appropriate safety margins is worthwhile. I think it'd be good to talk about uh, some of the different uses of rope. So if I'm going ski mountaineering, I live in the Teton range. The rappel is probably, rappelling is the main reason I'm going to use a rope. And then in other parts of my skiing, I'd say the second most likely reason I'm going to use a rope is for glacier travel, um, traveling in glaciated terrain. And certain ropes are going to perform better in that environment and not. And I'd say the least likely place that skiers use a rope is for pitched out rock, ice, or snow climbing. Um, and not saying it doesn't happen. On the Grand Teton, we do that every time. But I think of, am I rappelling? Am I on a glacier? Am I going climbing? Like using the rope for mountain climbing. Well, I think, Gavin, you know, with blade ski cuts, I think if done well, there should be very little dynamic component to it. Uh, personally, from my opinion. Um, and I, if I just thinking I'm doing a blade ski cut, like if I'm throwing in my pack, I'm, I'm, I'm going into a non-technical ski descent. So it's ski descent that doesn't have a rappel or any type of technical climbing component. And I'm putting a rope in my pack because I think I might need to do a blade ski cut. I would actually be more partial to be using a, more static style rope um, than a dynamic style rope personally, because in my mind that, that kind of hits that caveat of we want to have the, the least amount of slack and dynamic components in our system for something such as that. Also keep in mind that with a blade ski cut, and this is getting slightly more complicated. There's a few methods of doing a blade ski cut. There's the, good old hip belay. There's certain types of belaying off of fixed anchors and things such as that. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm most likely to be looking for rope that's more in a static style than a dynamic style. And I think a lot of what we're getting into is very stylistic. Um, you know, th there's no textbook telling you what to do. And all three of us align with that more minimalist style. Like I'm not looking to carry more than I need to. And I'm willing to do the homework, test these devices, whether it's off my deck or on less committing routes, so that when I get to that bigger, more complex terrain, I can use lighter materials and still 
have the level of security that I'm looking for. In addition to that, I think part of the beauty of these static ropes or hyperstatic ropes is that that the nature of being hyperstatic allows them to be made from materials like Dyneema and Aramid um, that are more abrasion resistant, stronger in a pull test, uh, things like that, that, that aren't necessarily um, able to be incorporated into a dynamic rope. So, so weights off the top of my head, um, a rad line is 23 grams per meter. The Edelrid wrap line protect, which is the dynamic um, Edelrid or the semi-dynamic Edelrid cord that we've referenced is about 28 grams per meter. Uh, and the Mammut glacier cord is about the same 27 or 28. And then, and then the Petzl Pure line, I think, is the lightest in the category at 21 grams per meter. So one thing real quick, I think, for me, too, is not just the type of whether there's any dynamic potential in in what you're using the uh, ropes for or things such as that. I also think it's a, important to understand, particularly for ski mountaineers, the difference of the terrain type that we're moving over, or I should say that we're running ropes over. It's a very different situation when you're running ropes over snow and ice than it is over rock. And I think what kind of wigs people out initially is how skinny some of these ropes can be when we're running them over snow and ice. You don't have the same potential for cutting uh, or rope damage over snow and ice as you do over rock. And that's another reason why in a ski environment, which we're typically over snow and ice, we can often get away with smaller diameters, whether it's more of an ecstatic system or a dynamic system. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another thing to, to really understand because all of these materials at the end of the day in a straight line in pull testing are, are quite strong. They generally exceed the forces that we could ever put on them in any of the applications. But uh, one of the things is to be conscious of if you are ever out in a snow setting and you do find yourself using some of these lighter, particularly thinner in diameter uh, ropes, um, if you ever find yourself in a situation where it's running over significant portions of rock, you've now kind of changed your situation a little bit. And, and I'm not saying you know, whether you should keep going or not or something like that. But I think it's just important to understand what has just changed. Uh, and that's often one of the big caveats with how we can get away with thinner, thinner style ropes in this environment. Especially in this context, I think that, that none of us are getting free ropes or devices out here. Um, not, not even in this case for review or anything like that. This is all stuff that we're buying and and trying to use what's best. And cost, I think, also plays a role in some of it. Like I, a majority of my rope quiver in the winter is is Beal backup lines because they're the cheapest of the high tech ropes, and they're pretty similar to a rad line at a a lesser cost. Um, and so I know for me that that's also a factor 
for sure. Cause, cause it's nice to have a bit of a quiver of these things. I know we all do. And I'd be interested to hear what's in everyone's quiver. I think that's a, an interesting thing to go through as far as lengths and, and, and what types of ropes we all have. As I mentioned earlier, I started ski mountaineering on rock climbing ropes, just big, fat, dynamic honkers. And then I believe the year was 2014, and Mammut came out with that yellow rappel rope. And I got a 40-meter and a 60-meter. I didn't know how much they weighed. I didn't know what they were rated to, but I was using those for a number of years, and I was pretty psyched. And then I think the next iteration, and you know, we can sort of say set this benchmark was the Petzl Radline. And that rope has certain ratings. I believe it's like the CE, is it 564, Gavin? Is that that what it is? I have no idea. (laughs) I I believe it is, and we can get into that later. But the Radline was one of the first ropes sort of marketed and targeted towards skiers and ski mountaineers. It said, hey, this is rope that you can rappel on and that you can use on a glacier for glacier traveling and crevasse rescue. And that got a lot of people really excited. And I think the main reason that not everyone likes the rad lines is that they're really expensive. That's maybe their biggest drawback. Um, But that sort of changed everything. And now a lot of companies are making ropes targeted towards skiers and ski mountaineers. It used to just be like, hey, what's a rope that you can use as a tagline or rappel rope for rock climbing? Oh, let's bring it to skiing. And now it's, hey, th- these ropes have these characteristics. And now we've got tons of options, and we're sort of going to the really edge of what's rational. I mean, Gavin will talk in a little bit, but he was testing, I believe it was a three mil cord, uh, which is very, very little, but maybe for repelling that could be okay for certain users and one thing that we talked about earlier is what's the rope running over but also how steep is the environment you know we think of steep skiing at 40 50 degrees but like that's really low angle rock climbing so we're just we're operating primarily in lower angle environments i i think adam Around your point, I could be a little off on this, but it's somewhere between 50 and 60 degrees that we go from a slope angle environment to a high angle environment. I do think around there is when we would technically enter a high angle environment. So so you're correct in saying that we're not even most of the time for ski belays and even some potentially lead belays in a snow and ice environment. We're not even in a high angle environment. With that. Yeah, typically when we're in that high angle so- <laughs> If we're in that high angle environment, it's when we're rappelling. By the time our skis are on, you know, it might feel steep, but you get at that inclinometer and it's uh, still that slope, slope environment. And, and yeah, to caveat on that, or, to, or sorry, not caveat, but to expand on that, like that is then when we are in that rappel environment, a static environment. Like there is not dynamic properties within a rappel system generally, or hopefully I should say. I was going to delve right into a story um, of using small ski ropes sort of to their, you could say fullest potential or beyond their limitations. It depends on the lens that you want to go into this with. But out here in the Teton range, there's a a striking descent 
the northeast snowfields of Mount Owen. And they're they're quite a long walk to get there, and it's an even longer walk back. So you really really don't want to carry much in your backpack. And midway through the route, there's a 60-meter rappel. So you either need to carry two 60-meter ropes. Now that sounds like a lot. Or you can use the BL escaper and bring one rope. But about halfway through this rappel, there's a really sharp edge, sharp uh, lip you're going over. And I've got my BL escaper, single rope. I'm using a 5-4 rope. And it just uh, makes you think, like, hmm, this definitely was not tested like this in the Petzl Institute. And it, uh, you know, just puts your throat in your stomach for a quick minute. And um, I know that's the time where I was like, huh, are we pushing things a little too far? Now, my rope was completely fine. There was no wear and tear or abrasion. Or, um, but it was more mentally. That was a time for me where I was like, huh this feels a little, you know, not warm and fuzzy. But sometimes ski mountaineering is not a warm and fuzzy activity. Rarely is it warm. Hopefully it's not too warm as, uh, you know, that, that that's something we're on, we're concerned about. But yeah, I just wanted to, you know, throw that in there, a little personal experience that I had with the ropes. That rappel on Mount Owen was a, I'll call it an inspiration for a lot of this device and rope testing that I've been delving into. Um, because yeah, I think that 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 in a lot of ways represents our worst case scenario repel being single strand oftentimes over rock. And, and the end of that repel is, is free hanging. Uh, so sufficient friction is pretty darn important in that, scenario uh, and I've seen people make rapid descents through that that overhanging rappel on Mount Owen um, on that single six mil cord so yeah I think that in my mind is the worst case scenario as far as rappelling friction and and really led me to getting way into the weeds on these these devices and how they interact with different rope options. Like that's a, it's obviously a known quantity, right? You're going to have this overhang repel and, and Adam, this is almost addressed. This is actually addressed to you. It's like you brought that up. You had, the, you didn't have that warm, fuzzy feeling, right? Which is always, it's actually kind of nice to have that feeling. If you're doing an overhang repel on a skinny rope in the future, would you do anything you know, what, what would you do differently perhaps knowing that that's there? I, I, yeah. Is it just standard operating procedure and you just proceed with caution? I, I'm okay with that, uh, committing to that system and I'm just cognizant of it. I did one time bring like that Edelrid Wrap Safety Pro, which is just a more durable rope. But for me, I'm okay accepting that risk understanding everything but it's more verbalizing hey this is a place where i know i'm sort of pushing the limits of my gear in this whole system but that's all right and i think somebody else a different user would be like what the heck i'm never doing that again or i want to avoid that situation and that's okay 
Well, I think in a way, Fabs, that this hits at the very core of what this conversation is about is explaining to people that like when we go and use some of these lighter systems or tools that we you really want to make sure that you have an understanding of the material and the tool that you're using, the limitations and the uh, the correct applications or misapplications that they you know, could be used in or should be, or should avoid. Um, and hopefully that's like, to me, uh, you know, drawing on our experience of areas we've used or misused or misapplied some of these things. Um, you know, that's a lot of hopefully what this conversation is about, uh, and is going to, and is going to build on, I think. Cause I've, I've, I mean, I can certainly speak for myself. Like I have definitely used gear in certain situations and be like, I'm not going to use that again. Like I'm not going to use that piece of equipment or that material in this situation. Um, and it's okay. I mean, that's part of how we kind of evolve and learn. But I think one of the things is if you don't know, or you are unsure, like, you know, either figure out if it was fine or not, and then figure out what might be better. And I think that's what almost this conversation is partially about i'll i'll chime in as the person that the first time i did the mount owen repel with the single strand and escaper being like i need to change something next time i do that um and mostly that was a device friction issue um and i think like what i would change is not necessarily what rope i'm using i was using a field backup line in that case uh which which i felt pretty good about, um, as far as the, the rock on edge, um, or the rope on rock edge, uh, risk, but, but the friction or the lack thereof was pretty intense. Um, using a, an ATC Alpine by black diamond, um, and, uh, with an extension and a friction hitch, um, and so I would probably bring a different device or use that device a little differently next time. That sounds like a, a user error. Well, one one thing real quick. I mean, is it worth because we're gonna we're gonna go through a lot, you know, some information on some of these skiddy ropes and and talk about the benefits or applications here. But I, I think it's also important to highlight before we go into this highlight some of the challenges or downsides of skinny ropes it's not very long i mean it's not like an extensive list here but there are some serious drawbacks and it's not just durability and abrasion because that's the one thing we have spoken about a little bit um or lack of friction i mean there there are some other downsides or potential things that i could think of with skinny ropes and one of the one of the biggest things for me like what almost the major downside to using skinny ropes is its ability to, is the rope management itself. If there's one thing that happens with skinny ropes is they like to get like tangled and knotted. It's almost like it's their life's mission is to piss you the heck off at the one moment where you need them. Uh, like they love getting tangled and they love getting knotted. And like you go to toss a skinny rope, it's like, well, good luck to see how this is going to go. You're probably going to get screwed here. Uh, I could think of numerous instances, Fabs, where we're sitting there trying to untangle skinny ropes from a seemingly like nicely coiled, perfect, you know, torpedo toss throw. And then it's like, what the heck just happened? Um, 
that's one of my biggest complaints. I think the other big thing that we've highlighted is the lack of friction. Gavin's going to get into that a bit here. They, they definitely have a significant and noticeable lack of friction. Um, even with devices that are meant to be used on skinny line, um, they don't bite as well with backups. Also on that friction note, like sometimes they're almost like un- there is like an unusable backup. Um, and I'd be curious, Gavin, when we get into this to see what happens with some of your testing with uh, particularly some of the really, really skinny stuff. So like the, some of that am steel and whatnot. Um, durability is obvious issue. Like that's, that's definitely a thing because a lot of these skinny ropes are single material. They're not Kern mantle or sheath core style ropes. Um, so you don't have a protective core on it, which becomes, uh, you know, we could, we could also dive into that a bit, but, um, and depending on the materials, we have to understand that there's a lot of different friction components, uh, or sorry, not friction, like heating and melting components involved, things like that. Um, you know, so there are some serious drawbacks. To these, uh, I think, one thing that we have found that's kind of okay uh, are tying skinny ropes to thick ropes. That's that's something that doesn't seem to be as much of an issue as we used to think. Uh, but another thing I've noticed with some of these skinny rope materials, like I can't remember Fabs what that stuff was that we've been using, but they're particularly if you do have some of these core sheath skinny ropes, they you can get some really serious sheath bunching uh, with some of that stuff. What was what was that one? That was with that Sterling 5.4. I don't know the name of it, but, it, you know, it sounds good on a, a sheet of paper, grams per meter, it's really light. You pick it up, it's super packable, and you're like, hot dang, this is going to be my new cord. And then you get it out, and... You know, it, it tangles like heck all. And my first time using it, it bunched up. So the sheath and the core were moving separately. And my friend that sold it to me, I mean, he's a used car salesman. And he told me it was better than white bread. And I mean, that stuff sucked. And now I've got just a bunch of this bale cordelette. But I have 110 meters of it. And it's, yeah, that's a lot of meters. Yes, I think I think that you know, kind of goes to my point here is there are a lot of downsides of, or maybe not a lot, but there are some very notable downsides of, of some of these skinny lightweight ski ropes. And I think it's just important that we kind of like go into this conversation, understanding that. Yeah. And I think getting into the like single braid, uh, or that th- the three mil Dyneema in particular, or Amsteel that Billy was referencing, that's pretty out there. That's for me anyways, that's, that's a, uh, use on the deck kind of thing right now. And, and I would not take that into the mountains at this point. (laughs) It's my disclaimer there. It's an interesting thing to play with. Is there anyone in the industry that is using that in the mountains these days? I've heard rumor on mountain project of, uh, folks like Killian Jornet or, uh, Mikey Schaefer using three mil Dyneema cord repelling, um, and using super munter hitches. Uh, and then our old coworker, Mark Smiley has posted on Instagram, some about using this three mil cord, both as a tagline, but not as a main rappel cord. And then also using it 
spliced in anchors, like replacing a cordelette or a sling in a, in a rock anchor. Um, but I haven't gotten any modern solid information on folks having good experiences using it as a main repel cord, just as a tagline, which in my mind is, um, made obsolete in a lot of ways by the BL escaper. Copy. I was just curious of who's out there in the mountains right now using just such a, a small tool. The smallest thing that I have solid evidence of somebody using in the mountains it uh, was Killian in one of his like big day out around his house or his home in Norway using what looked like a five mil BL accessory cord that's 100% Dyneema similar to a pure line. Uh, I don't know if it's any lighter than a pure line. It seems really similar, um, but that's the lightest and skinniest thing I've seen in the wild on video or, and I've, I've never, I've, yeah, I've, again, I've read on mountain project forums about people using the three mil, but I, I don't know of anybody consistently using the three millimeter amp steel. This seems like a good opportunity to discuss the differences between the two Petzl products on the market that we've been referring to. So there's the Petzl Rad line and the Petzl Purr line. And the Rad line was designed, as we mentioned earlier, for ski mountaineers. And it is a higher friction material, so better rope handling with gloves on, which it's anticipated you're using gloves in a winter environment. And it is also bright and orange, so it has higher contrast on snow and ice. While a purline is a little bit lighter, it's also a little slipperier, slipperier, that slipper, slippery, would one say, um, more more slippery, and it is white to give a higher contrast on most rock. Now the purline comes in a sixty-five meter length because it's not going to stretch as much as a rad line, which comes in a 60 meter length. Do, do you all have anything to add to the differences between the rad and the purr? I think there may also be some differences of some of the Petzl product, as long as other products as rope grab devices being used on rad line versus purr line. Gavin, I don't know if you can speak to that. I think they're both certified for use with a micro traction. Um, the big, yeah, I think the biggest difference is, is that friction component. Um, and that both means, uh, friction in your hand when you're repelling. So the rad line will give you much better friction through a repel device or, or in your hand while you're repelling. Um, but also higher friction on rock, say if you're hauling or using it as a tagline while repelling in a rock environment, uh, where the pure line has a tighter weave and a hundred percent Dyneema sheath that's quite slippery. It's it's impressive how slippery it is, and it doesn't like to stay in knots necessarily. Uh, do both the stiffness and the slipperiness, um, and it uh, it's quite slippery in your hand when you're repelling as well. It definitely requires extra care um, while repelling. Yeah, so I guess uh, in summary there, the rad line, it's marketed towards skiers, probably a better tool for most people in a winter environment. Uh, 
it's my go-to, especially if I'm traveling on glaciers. I think it's going to be um, just perform better for all the different tasks that I'm going to throw at it. But this winter, when I was going on a larger mission, I chose to grab a purline because it's lighter. And sometimes uh, those grams per meter, that's going to drive my decision. And I, and I think what's nice about the Petzl Rad uh, and, and, and per its design, which I think is important to understand that this is like per the design of the Petzl Rad, is it can be used in certain uh, belay situations, not in your classic leader uh, in a in a high angle environment belay situation, but I think and anyone correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it's when you have a dynamic belay system, not a static belay system. So when we're talking about like a glacier fall with some with like a team arrest, uh, where there could be some bit of give as the as the team is arresting a fall as well as you know cutting into a lip and stuff in a, in a glacier setting, it it that is per its design to stop something like that. Like that's, that's using it, uh, within its design specs. And I, is a per line, I'm asking this question, is a per line also designed for something like that or is it not? It's definitely not designed for something like that. And I think that the biggest, uh, difference in use, um, is not so much like a dynamic property of the rad line, but rather that that high friction kind of rough aramid sheath on the rad line um, has quite a bit of friction over snow um, such that it, when it cuts into the lip on a crevasse or if it's in your hand, say, in a hip belay scenario when you're doing a belayed ski cut, it does give you um, relatively more friction compared with say a pure line, which, which would be, I would be quite concerned about trying to catch a hip belay fall, uh, for example, with a pure line. So it's, it's slippery. I bet we're stressing those people at Petzl out a little bit going this far into their products here. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. I was more making a joke. But they did literally make the rad line orange to pop on snow and the purline white to pop on rock. They're, they're with some thought process into it. So I'd say for most users, for the winter, you're going to default to that rad line. And if you're a gram counter, purline might be a tool, but just make sure you've got a way to provide adequate friction. Otherwise, that might be a faster repel than you're looking for. And none of us want that. None of us want that. It is wild to think about the the specs give you two grams per meter heavier for a rad line over a pure line. It's 21 versus 23. And over a 60 meter rope, that's 120 grams, which is heavier than the bindings on my skis. Kind of amazing. Um, so it is a significant weight savings to go with a pure line, but, but the, the risk uh, introduced and the lack of, of versatility, the lack of versatility is significant. Yeah. And while we're delving into weights, I mean that, uh, Edelrid wrap safety pro that's a pound heavier than a rad line even. So to me, yeah, it's going to be a more durable cord, but if I'm going to carry that extra pound, I'm thinking, why, why am I carrying this extra weight? And sometimes working as a mountain guide, it might be because that's a better tool for the job right now. 
And then when I'm going out as a recreational athlete, I can have different acceptance of risk and I might go for that weight weenie option. So when I'm wearing different hats, I might choose different ropes. <laughs> different hats, different ropes. God forbid you ever wear a helmet. <laughs> that will be for another day. I know. I, I am going to jump in there. Right, Adam, kids are watching you. <laughs> a kid I know in particular. No pressure, though. Yeah, right. We probably all know who you're talking about there. Um, I think one thing is it, and I don't know, I mean, really the only competitor to the to the rad line that I know of is the Mimut Glacier Court. BL backup line is very similar. Um, but is that kind of it? Are those are those the options in that you know what I would say slightly versatile uh, type of ropes that we'd be bringing? I've never laid eyes on it, uh, but Gravel supposedly is making something that they sell in a kit. Um, with like a bag and that scream belay device um, that is a five and a half or six mil. And I've been meaning to ask our coworker, Alan Rousseau, uh, who's a Gravel athlete, I've been meaning to ask him about it because I've never seen it in the flesh, but I have seen it for sale and it seems similar. But I, don't, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head besides uh, the Petzl products and then the BL and, and Mammut. And uh, we've been throwing a lot of different ropes around. Maybe we do a, a quick summary of all the cords that we're discussing. You know, not every cord on the market. You know, this isn't a, you know, like going through all the options, but a majority of the options that we're seeing both in our gear rooms and uh, in the parking lots uh, in the Mountain West here. Yeah, I can list them off, maybe starting from lightest and going to to heavier or heaviest. Um, the lightest thing we've talked about is this three mil or eighth inch am steel. Um, and that's more like a sailing or industrial product, honestly. And that's the one that I'm not recommending <laughs> to take out into the wild at this point. Uh, then going up from there, uh, the pure line from Petzl is that hundred percent Dyneema core and sheath. Uh, that's designed as a rock tag line more than a ski rope. And it, it, at about the same weight is that Sterling. It's the VTX uh, 5.4 millimeter. And that's essentially the, it's an accessory cord um, that folks have been using as a full length rope. And that's the one that Adam had problems with <laughs> sheath bunching. If anyone wants some of that Sterling, um, I've got over a hundred meters of it and uh, I'm not a fan. So I'll give you a good deal. Give you a good deal. <laughs> we'll give you Adam's phone number at the end of the podcast. <laughs> and then going up from there, uh, the rad line and the backup line at about the same weight and, and um, similar application. Uh, I'm not sure where the Gravel fits into there, but there's, there's also the Gravel. And then on the heavier end of the spectrum is the Mammut, um, two or three grams heavier uh, per meter than either of those. And, and it feels a little bit more robust, I would say, um, but similar application, I think, to the, the, or the rad line or the backup line. 
And then kind of the heaviest option um, in the mix is that Edelrid wrap line uh, protect, I think it's called. Um, and I think the only other one I can think of is the eSpirit personal escaper rope. Have you all ever used that? It's like a six mil, I think it's like designed for firefighters or something along those lines. But it's uh, it's very stiff, like crazy stiff, and it twists, and it's maybe not the best option, but I think it's a little more affordable than some of the others. But yeah, that kind of uh, wraps up the all the options that that we're aware of, anyways. Uh, there are certainly a few more out there, um, and and we'll have an article about this up on the website uh, coming up here. Um, going to really get into the weeds in the article. So you can look forward to that. <laughs> That's highroute.com with hyphens folks. Don't forget your hyphens. Sorry, Adam. And, uh, you know, we just discussed a lot of different, you know, mindsets and options on ropes, but my thought is whether you're getting one of these lighter ropes or the more robust ropes, everything we're chatting about is pretty minimal and just practicing with it in a lower risk environment whether that's off the side of your deck, but that, that actually could be a high-risk environment depending uh, where your desk, deck is. But also, if we're talking about in the mountains, just I think Billy mentioned it earlier, but if there's a higher level of uncertainty, I'm going to go over-prepared. And when it's a, a route that I know, like the back of my hand, that's when I might start going with that more minimalist mentality. So, you know, it it's awesome to push ourselves, but we don't want to push anything too far. So I have just a, almost two questions here. One, if, and I, I have my answer, I'm, I'm assuming it will probably be the same for all of you. If I'm going in, let's say I'm in the Wasatch, up here in the Tetons, maybe even Alaska, like, and I'm just trying to bring my do-it-all, like I kind of say, like, you know, jack-of-all-trades rope here. Um, I, I mean, I can tell you my personal is going to be a rad line. I'm probably going to default to a rad line. Like, I can usually deal with short sections of belaying in most environments, whether it's belaying up or belaying down. I can deal with repelling. I can deal with glacier, glacier travel with something such as that. Um, that's, that's one thing. Um, that's what kind of one, one question I had, but I'm going to quickly just move into a, a second. Cause I'm pretty sure unless, unless anyone feels different. How about, how about your daily driver belay device, uh, extension, third hand, things like that. So anytime that I'm going ski mountaineering and I'm repelling on some of these skinnier cords that we've discussed over the last hour, I am going to always make sure that I have an extended device, typically using some form of double-length sling. I, I use a, a variety of options depending on what I'm doing that day. And then I'm using a belay device that is designed for skinnier ropes. In a minute, we're going to talk about a few of those. So these are not the normal devices that I would use with a, a thicker dynamic rock climbing rope. And I'm always going to have a third hand. So a friction hitch that is providing more friction. And I don't have a, a, a default. You know, there's, there's a few options out there. And I'm not saying you need to do exactly what I'm saying. But the idea of an extension, a specialized smaller belay device, and a friction hitch 
are things that will set you up for success in a winter environment with smaller ropes. Because when we have gloves on, they're snowy and icy, that provides less friction. So a lot of things just to have a more redundant system and provide the security that we're looking for. And maybe we can talk about a few of the different belay devices that we're using these days out there with these ropes. Yeah, so getting into belay devices, there's, in my mind, almost two different categories. Um, There's miniaturized versions of your standard kind of ATC guide or reverso uh, device. Uh, Black Diamond has the ATC Alpine, which has been my go-to generally um, as a good generalist uh, for for most scenarios, but but it definitely doesn't provide enough friction in the lowest friction scenarios out there. Um, it's not rated for six mil ropes. It's more designed for uh, small like twin ropes or some of the triple rated uh, single half twin climbing ropes out there. Um, but it, it does provide sufficient friction um, with the aforementioned extensions and third hands uh, in in play for a double rope repel on some of the burlier options as far as uh, skinny ski ropes go. And then there's the kind of old gold standard, which I think Billy and Adam are both huge fans of, uh, the Petzl Reversino. Um, And that's a similar tiny device. Uh, It's a little smaller than the ATC Alpine and seems to provide better friction um, than that, kind of in the same form factor as your typical ATC that you'd be using repelling in the summer. Uh, Moving beyond that, we have like plate style devices like the Gravel Scream. Uh, And that one is rated for tiny ropes. It's rated for down to five mil ropes, I believe, or five and a half mil uh, and up to eight mil, but man, I can't quite wrap my head around why you would use that style of device as a repelling device. A lot of us guides carry something like a Camp Ovo as a as a top belay device because it has such low friction, uh, but it requires an extra carabiner and it inherently is a lower friction repel um, than a similarly miniaturized ATC style device. It just puts a less severe bend in the rope. Uh, then moving on to the Edelrid options, they have both a micro jewel, uh, which is a miniaturized version of their jewel assisted braking devices. And that thing is honestly a huge pain in the ass. I've never really gotten along with it. It's kind of like exhausting to repel with when you have sufficient friction in the auto braking mode. Um, or you can flip it upside down and do some trickery to get less friction, at which point you're wondering why you have this device in the first place. <laughs> uh, but Edelrid also makes what they call the Mago 8, and I just got this. I haven't used it in the wild yet, um, but I got clued into it by some of the uh, European or French ski mountaineers uh, using it. And it's rated for skinny ropes. It was designed to be used with the Edelrid wrap line uh, that we've talked about. And it has different horns and 
configurations to add or subtract friction, uh, which is quite cool. It really does uh, allow for a lot of options as a descent device. Uh, the use is a little different than an ATC, so it takes some getting used to. Um, but but that really does seem to be as far as like friction options, lightweight. Um, it only needs one carabiner, um, and and that yeah, I'm pretty fascinated by that device right now. Honestly, it lacks a little bit of the versatility of an ATC guide. I don't think you could provide a lead belay with it. But like we've talked about, that's not something we're doing very often, if ever. Uh, and it has a plate on it, so you could provide a top belay um, as needed. So yeah, that's that's a quick rundown. Well, I I do think Gavin, those you can provide lead belays with those kind of plate scarab style devices, and that I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it hits all that. Yeah, very cool. I'm too young to know how figure eights work. Uh, and then what about that little Kong thing you had? That little Kong Kong device. I, I want to I hear about that just slightly, even if it's just briefly mentioned. Uh, it still seems as if it's being just experimented with. Yeah, I've been experimenting with a Kong slide, which is meant to be a uh, personal tether, like an adjustable personal tether device that Kong sells. Uh, and I've been essentially threading it like a figure eight and there's a few different configurations. Um, but that's my, my current testing, uh, device of choice for my, my three millimeter am steel. (laughs) Definitely going to throw the disclaimer out there that that is in the, uh, Gavin Hess, uh, laboratory testing phase and by no means, uh, something that's been applied yet. So, but I, I'm curious about it and to give you just, I think just to understand that like, this is, I don't know. I think this is where a lot of this is potentially going in my mind, you know, like these, these, these types of things. So. Yeah, it is cool to see companies making new devices that are divine designed for smaller ropes. Um, as Gavin mentioned, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Petal Reversino, but has that been made in the last like, decade or two it's a pretty old tool but it's simple it's all metal works well and that's why i like it i mean heck when billy and i were taking our amga ski exam i got one for all our buddies in the exam i was so excited bought them on ebay um but i I do think we're going to continue to see innovation in this part of the market in years to come i think other companies are realizing, hey, we're now making all these specialized ropes. Let's make the tools to go with them. And when they're different from our traditional belay devices, it just requires a little bit more learning. And I know myself, I like the simplicity of a device. It's quite literally a miniature version of my go-to belay device. So that's why I stick with more of the reverse, you know. But my buddy Gavin over here, who's a little more innovative, he's going to sort of turn towards those newer, funkier tools. Young kids these days. 
Well, and I think, and I think that's actually a really good point, Fabs. Like I see down in down in the Wasatch and and stuff, you see a lot of people using a lot of different devices, and some of them are more the plate style devices. Like uh, one I see somewhat commonly is like a Petzl Piranha. Uh, it, it's common commonly used in canyoneering. Um, it most likely provides a more smooth repelling descent than any type of tube style ATC style device to be totally honest it probably does and that's kind of a you know a, a newer version of like an old figure eight um but i think a lot of the people using that are probably people who don't do as much vertical rock climbing and do more canyoneering and and there's nothing wrong with that like it gets the job done it's a good tool and it's something that people are comfortable with and the devices that gavin just kind of lined out there's some that are more of those plate style devices that maybe someone who you know, is more in uses the Petzl Piranha or a Scarab or an old figure eight or something are more familiar with or people who come from the climbing background, which is probably more likely, but people who come from the climbing background are more comfortable with tube style, ATC style devices. So, I mean, today, ladies and gentlemen, this afternoon, we, we delve deep into the different options for ski ropes, some of the pros and cons, some of the nuances in a lot of our uh, subjective personal preferences. But we've formed these opinions over, uh, you know, hours, days, and years in the mountains. And I encourage everyone to test this gear thoroughly before bringing it out into the big hills. But it's pretty cool. We live in the golden age of ski mountaineering. A lot of options for ropes and belay devices to get us up and down the hills. And next week, or, you know, in our next episode... We're going to talk about some of the gear that Billy and I are going to use on an upcoming expedition. And honestly, we'll be talking through it because we've been in full summer mode and, and there's a lot that goes into the decision-making process for what do we put in our duffels when we're going to fly to the Andes. A lot goes into that. How lucky are we to be living in the golden age of ski mountaineering? That's, that's special, huh? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we could get Lou on the line and see if he agrees with that or something. Cool. But yeah, I would I would I would be curious his thoughts on that, and I'd be curious as some of the uh, people on the other side of the pond here uh, how they feel about that too. But but um, well, you know, oh, I'd ahead, like Fabs. to think that whatever time we're all living in can be the golden age with the right perspective. And you know, I I wasn't uh, I was a young lad. I was born in '87, so in the early '90s, when some would say that that was some of the golden age for the Western United States of ski mountaineering, I wasn't really ready yet. So how I see it is we're, we're still in that golden age and with the right perspective, mindset, uh, and tools in our backpack, we, you too can join us in this golden age. I mean, this winter is going to be the best one yet. It's going to be the best one yet. Perhaps, perhaps we're in the Renaissance, but who knows? Um, I mean, I, I don't know if we're, if we're kind of going off of parting words here, but if I, if I just had a few parting things as, as to say with ropes and, and what we've got going on, I think it's, it, it just understand the materials you're using, understand the application you're using them in and, uh, understand their limitations, understand the hazards and drawbacks with each type of system and, and things such as that. Like, you know, there's big difference between single rope and double rope with these skinny, skinny cords here and understand the types of material you're running them over and things like that. And I think if you go into it with that, it's okay to, with an understanding of that, it's okay to push it a bit and, 
experiment with this stuff, if I want to call it that. Um, and just, that's, that's just like my biggest thing is just have an understanding of the equipment you're using. Um, because the same equipment can be used properly or improperly in the same situation. And I think, you know, like that's, that's also something to understand that it can be used properly or improperly in the same situation, the same repel, the same belay, whatever it is. Um, and, and we are talking about high consequence environments. So, um, but it's an interesting topic. It's an interesting, uh, golden age that we're living in right now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I've just really, you know, excited to, to see where we're at and see what comes next, but yeah, that's all. That's all I got. Yeah, and we can look forward to a series on the hyphen high hyphen route dot com uh, on both ropes and belay devices that I'm going to be working on. Uh, hopefully, with some help from Adam and Billy and some input um, with their experiences, which you, with all of these ropes and devices um, coming in the next couple months here as we lead into the winter. Oh, alien, you're a beautiful alien. Thanks for listening to the High Route Gear Shed podcast. For the time being, if you have questions for us about ropes for ski mountaineering, send an email to editor at thehighroute.com. Don't forget those hyphens. We'll also post a story on the site relating to the podcast. You can also leave a comment there that we will respond to. The theme music for the High Routes Gearshed podcast comes from the band Storms in the Hill Country and their album, The Self Transforming. You're hearing from the track Beautiful Alien. We'll link to the music in our show notes and website. on your legs glitter all over your head a time machine in your pocket light coming out of your hand